of chapter number 7. And tonight we'll be directing our attention to verses 21 through verse number 25. And this will end out chapter number 8. Paul is, is really just now getting to the point that he is... I don't know if you would put it this way or not, but as far as as far as as far as some would be concerned, Paul is just now about to get into the good stuff. Um, chapter eight is is for for most people and in most people's eyes the culmination of the book of Romans. But the one thing that it's it's amazed me from the beginning, and I think I've understood more and more why it's said. But I think even Brother Zach, when he was here, said that Ephesians had been called the Little Romans. That Ephesians was Romans kind of compacted into a smaller letter. And we'll see that even tonight because a lot of the things that Paul deals with in these five verses are a... It's going to sound like a repeat from what we've seen in Ephesians. There's not really a lot of difference in what Paul's saying. He's saying it differently to a different group of people, but he's saying the same thing. And when we come to the Scripture, that's what we're going to find. If we're looking at the Scripture correctly, we're going to see God saying the same thing. Because we're hard-headed people, and we have trouble getting it the first time. But, again, we'll we'll kind of direct our attention to uh, these verses of Scripture in chapter 7 tonight. And uh, look at what Paul is doing to conclude this uh, this this chapter of the book. Um, and while we do read down through here, I do want to call attention too to the grammar that Paul is using. So if you can kind of pick out some of the colons and some of the semicolons and the periods and where they're at, I think it'll kind of give us some more light on what Paul is saying exactly when he's going through here. And we'll look at some of that too as we go down through it. Verse number 21, it says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then when the mind, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. One of the things I know was mentioned last week was Paul specifically talking about himself in chapter number 7. And he uses a lot of language that is self-directed in this chapter specifically. He'll, he'll regain what he's used verses chapters 1 through 5 in chapter number 6, and he'll regain that in chapter number 8, but he's, he's being very introspective in this, in this section of Scripture. And he uses, again, he uses that word I and me a lot in these five verses. 
And the difference is, and I know this was looked at last week, is Paul is talking in the present tense. He's saying, I find, I see, I myself. All of these things are saying, it's something that's happening to me now. Uh, Martin Luther, there was a term that he used in Latin that I'm not going to try and pronounce. But it basically meant just and sinner. The way that Martin Luther looked at himself was just and a sinner at the same time. He was justified before God, but in his flesh, he still sinned. Um, the one that came to mind that maybe put it a little bit better than that even was a man named Del McCoroy. He was a, uh, I think he's still alive actually, but he's a famous bluegrass singer. Uh, I, I used to be really into bluegrass, and it still is one of those types of music that even if you hate it, you can't listen to it and not smile because it just brings that out in you. But there's a song that he sang that my wife despises called Recovering Pharisee. And in that song, he says, I'm a sinner and a saint simultaneously. And he goes on to say some other things that I'm not going to get into. But all that being said, he had it right. When he looked at himself, even in the silliness of that song that he wrote, he saw himself correctly. He said, I'm a sinner and a saint at the same time. And that's what we see Paul doing in these, this section of Scripture. If Paul had written a song, he could have been singing it with Del McCroy. Because Paul is saying in this section of scripture that I am a sinner and a saint at the same time. And he explains these principles. So I'm look at three different ways that Paul looks at things through these sections of scripture. In verse number 21 and 22, we see Paul's delight. Verses 22 and 23, we see his discernment. And in verse 25, we see the defeat. So in verse number 21 and 22, we see Paul's delight. He says, and we'll read verse number 20 and 21, or 21 and 22. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I find then a law. What Paul is, the, the word Paul uses here, and it kind of struck me odd when I found this out, but the word Paul uses is Eureka. He said, I figured it out. It dawned on me. It wasn't something that Paul was predisposed to already. It wasn't something that Paul understood before a certain period in time of, in his life. It was something that Paul had studied the scriptures, and one day the light went off, and he said, I get it. I understand uh, the, the, the idea that came to my mind whenever I read this, when he says, I, found, I have found then a law, the word law there isn't the same as what we would think as the law, as the Ten Commandments, but the word law there is a principle. And it's the same idea as the story that most of us probably heard about Isaac Newton sitting under the apple tree and he takes a nap and the apple falls and hits him in the head and he's Eureka, gravity. And that's kind of what Paul is doing in this verse. He's saying, he said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He said, I want to do good. 
That's what I want. I have a desire inside of me to do good. All of these things have happened in my life. All of these things that I've written about have transpired in my life. Justification has happened. I've been brought to Christ. That's happened. Sanctification, I can see, is happening. I'm being made more like Christ. The Spirit's illuminating the Scriptures. But he said, I find when I would do good, evil is present with me. He wants to do good, but sin is, in essence, what what he's saying, the picture that he's bringing towards is he wants to do good, but even in his doing good, sin is wanting him to do good without God. And that's exactly what he said in Ephesians this morning. Sin, even in us doing good, even in Paul's desire to do good, he said, I can't even do good without me wanting to do good for the wrong reasons. And this is exactly what we found all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter number 4 and verse number 7, God speaking to Cain, he said, Cain, you had the opportunity to do right. I didn't just like Abel more than you for no reason. Abel did what was right. And you, while trying to do good, were doing good in the wrong way. You were bringing something. It wasn't that Cain brought the worst fruit of the field. Cain brought the best that he had. He, brought, he didn't just gather up the rotten stuff to bring it to God. He brought the best that he had, the best that he had produced. But even in that, it wasn't what God had commanded. And, and what we bring, the best that we can produce, even, even when we think, well, I'm finally getting things down, I'm finally bringing things to God that will be pleasing to him, even the best that we can produce, it isn't enough because it's good for the wrong reason. And God told Cain, he, he said, even when you're wanting to do good, the exact word or exact term that God used, he said, sin lieth at the door. Basically, sin's there waiting because you're trying to do good in the wrong way. You're trying to do good apart from God. Sin is right there waiting, strategizing to jump on you. And that's what Paul says. He says is happening to him. When I want to do good, he said, evil is present with me. David, he mentions this exact same circumstance in Psalm 65 and verse number 3. He said, when he desired to do good, iniquities prevailed over him. The difference between Cain and David, though, is David saw the iniquities prevailing over him. And David, in the very next verse, in verse number 4 of chapter 65, says, but thou forgivest me. David, David understood he messed up and he said, well, at least God forgives me for messing up. No one, and this was a quote that, that I read by C.S. Lewis, he said, no one knows how bad they really are until they try to do good. And we can see that, I know I can see that in my own life. I, 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 think, I think I've got things nailed down. I think I'm doing great. But when I go to do good, I find out how bad I really am. And that's, again, that's part of the the case that's bringing Paul to that. He said he found delight in the Word of God, that inner man, that inner part of him, the part that had been quickened to walk in new life, in that part of him, he wanted to do good. But sin was waiting there, and every time he went to do good, he kept finding out how bad he really was. 
the closer that he seemed to get to God, the worse he felt about his sin. The closer that he felt like he was doing in his spiritual life, the farther he would mess up. The better attitude he thought he would have, the next day he ended up with a worse attitude than he'd ever had before. Because sin was waiting there for him. Even in his doing good, he said sin was there, present with him. It wasn't, hadn't gone anywhere. And this is part of that discovery that Paul had. That that sin was with him. He finally got it. He said, the sin is present with me. I've never gotten away from it. It's still here. So we see Paul's discovery, and then we see his direction. There in verse number 21, he said, I find, or at the, I guess in the verse number 22, he said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The word delight, it means to be satisfied. And obviously we understand that the inward man is that new man. It's that part of us that's been quickened to new life. He said, I delight in the law of God. He said, all that satisfaction that I was never able to find before, all that satisfaction that I was looking for and going after Christians, persecuting them, the satisfaction that I was looking for in keeping the law, the satisfaction that I was looking for in my heritage, the satisfaction that I was looking for in the people that I sat under, the satisfaction that I was looking for in my intelligence, all of these things, I finally found it. And I found it in my inner man. When God quickened that, I found that satisfaction. He said, I delight in the law of God. And again, that law of God isn't necessarily the Ten Commandments that we would think of. He's saying, I delight in the law of what's been brought up in me. The principle that's been brought up in me. That new man, I delight in that. I love that part. I want to be like that part. But again, he found out that even though he loves that part, he wants to be like that part... That was his delight. His discovery was that sin was there waiting on him. So we see Paul's delight in verses number 21 and 22. Verse number 23 and 24, we see Paul's discernment. The first thing in this that we see is what I've written down or what I've termed as a new development. Again, that eureka moment where Paul says... I think I'm understanding what the problem is. And ultimately, Paul is going to tell us that the problem is himself. I know there was a, there was a, uh, a man back, this was about probably 100 years ago, a commentator in a, in a newspaper had written, basically asking people to send in what the problem with the world was. The world was going to haywire. World War I was about to start, and they saw things as just going off the charts. And he wanted to know what the problem was. So he said, anybody who knows what the problem is, send something into the editor. And there was a pastor in that area. His last name was Chesterton. And he sent in, he said, dear editor, I am sincerely C.K. Chesterton. That was what he said. He knew what the problem was. And Paul understands what the problem is too. He understands that it's in his, his, it is in himself. What Paul points us to in verse number 23 and 24, is a specific war that he's finally seen. So verse number 23 and 24, he said, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And we'll try to unpack this verse as best we can. But Paul has put in a, he's put a lot of stuff in verse number 23. He's trying to he's, he's basically laid everything out in verse number 23 and if we're not careful, we'll go over it quickly and not see what he's actually saying. But he says that he saw another law. He he saw another principle so to speak. And that principle was that in his members there was a war against his mind. And it was bringing him into captivity to that law which was in his members. So we see this, this war that's happening between two different things. In essence, what Paul's saying, he said, there's something in my members and it's warring against what's in my mind. And he's going to go on and clarify that here in a minute. But that war that he's talking about, it's a it's a it, this, it's the exact word is strategizing. So we understand what war is, but part of war is a strategy. He's not saying that it's it's not where they're just hiding in the woods and trying to pick me off when they can. It's not like they just burnt, they just took a whole army and are trying to engulf me at one time. He said they're strategizing. They're not just doing it haphazardly. He said that that law in my members that's warring against me, they've got a specific plan in mind. During the, the Civil War, whenever Stonewall Jackson had taken command of the Army of, of the Northern Potomac, what he did, and it was, it, and that's one of the amazing things about a lot of the generals in that war, some of the genius that they had was, was still even unprecedented in our day. But what he did, and it was crazy to his men at the time, but he would take, there was a valley, it was the Shenandoah Valley, and he would take his troops and he would march them up and down and up and down. That's all they did for, I think it was three months. They just marched up and down that valley. But what he was doing is he was strategizing. He knew that the way that they would be perceived is having so many men that it took up the whole valley. It was not... not too dissimilar from a story that I had told recent Reagan not too long ago about Gideon where he only had 300 men but they took the lamps and the trumpets and it made it look like they had a lot more than 300 men. And that's the same thing that he was doing. He was strategizing and saying, okay, I'm going to move my men back and forth and make it look like there's a lot more so that we'll have a surprising advantage over the other side. And they did. But Paul is using that same word and that same principle and he's saying... It's not just that sin's here to overtake me. Sin, in the scheme of things, is the underdog. Sin's already been defeated in the end. And sin knows that. Our flesh knows that it's been defeated. Satan knows that he's been defeated. There's no mystery. But even in that knowledge, they're not. sin isn't just sitting back and saying, all right, I've been defeated, I ain't doing anything else. And it's not saying, well, I'm going to just, like, I'm just going to go pick off who I can, where I can. But sin is strategizing in us. He said, there's a law in my members that is warring against the law in my mind. It's going through and it's figuring out where it needs to be and when it needs to be there and how it needs to make itself look. 
whether it's going back and forth and making itself look like it's something that just absolutely cannot be overcome no matter what we do, or whether it's just that that sin is in the right place at the right time to tempt us in the right way that it overtakes us. That's how sin works. We know from the book of James that there's not a sin, and James uses the same wording that Paul used. He said there's not a sin that has overtaken us that is not common to man, but God has given us a way of escape. It's that same warfare. James understood the same thing that Paul did. They didn't, as some scholars would have people believe, they didn't conflict with each other. James and Paul were saying the exact same thing. We just don't understand the scriptures enough to understand what they were saying. The problem is with us. The problem isn't with the scriptures. But James said, it's waiting to overtake you. That temptation, that sin is waiting, strategizing to overtake you. He said, the war in my members is warring against the law of my mind And Paul even admits, and this is something that was amazing to me, anytime I ever talk to anybody, any other pastor, any other friend, any other Christian that I know of, and you ask them, how are you doing? It's always great. Nothing's wrong. If it's a pastor, church is growing, no problems. If it's a a Christian brother, things are going great. Look what I saw in the scriptures. And that's all good things. But we always go straight to the good, and we never admit the bad. Now that's part of what Paul tells the Corinthian church. He says, admit your faults to one another because you're going to find strength in that. He's not saying just come in church and say, well, I I just messed up real bad this week. Let me tell you about everything that I did. But we are there to confide with our brothers and sisters because that's where we'll gain strength. And we'll get to this in a minute. But Paul's not, he's not trying to say Hide everything, because he's not hiding everything. He says, it brings me into captivity. Paul said, it gets me almost every time. And even he even, he even kind, of, kind of clarifies that in the verses before. He said that when he wants to do good, he doesn't do it. When he doesn't want to do good, why does he find himself, when he, does, he don't want to do bad, why does he find himself doing? He does, finds himself doing bad again. And he, he says that again in this verse. He said, he said, it brings me into captivity. Sin is so good at what it does, it brought the Apostle Paul into captivity. And he admits this because Paul doesn't want to leave us on a lower plane. Paul wants us to understand that we're all on the same level. Paul didn't want us to think that he had achieved something that is unachievable in this life. And that's the reason that when we started chapter number 7, we termed it the normative Christian life. It is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. It's no different for anybody. No matter what anybody tells you, this is their life. This is my life. When I want to do good, sin is right there. When I try not to do bad... It's right there. And it overtakes me because there's a war going on. And Paul had discerned that. He said the war, there was a law in his mind. He said the war basically was what he did to what he knew. 
how he felt to what he knew. And that's where he brings out the member part of this. He says, there's a war in my members, in my hands, in my feet, in my eyes, in my mouth, in my ears. Even yesterday, <laughs> I actually had, and this I, may not be funny to everybody else, but I had Miss Amy's face in my mind yesterday saying, I can't say that because a Christian woman wouldn't say it. There was something that was said to me yesterday that I had, and it doesn't happen to me often, but something that was said to me, I got up and had to walk away because I almost said something that didn't need to be said. Because sin sin was there to overtake me. And just in that instance, God used Miss Amy to pop into my head and say, you ought not be saying that. (laughs) But sin is there. And he says the war, so that war, that sin, that sin was in my mind. That sin was in my mouth. The sin was waiting for those words to come into my ears. It was there. There's times that some people may struggle with that sin in their hands, that, that, that alcohol that may be right in front of them, or whatever it may be. I'm not, just, I'm not necessarily just picking on alcohol, but it's honestly, it's just an easy thing to bring up. But whatever it may be, that sin is right there in our members. And Paul, he says that specifically. He's not, he's not, trying, he's not just writing things down for the, for the sake of writing it down. He says the law is in my members, and it's long against the war of my mind. The law of his mind, it was who he was. He didn't say the law was in his mind. He said it's of my mind. Paul had taken, he had taken grab, grasp of, he had grabbed hold of who he was. And what, it, what have we been talking about for the past seven or eight weeks? It's who we are. Paul had grasped hold of who he was. He says it's the law of my mind. It's mine. It's not anybody else's. And he even, I say it's not anybody else's. He tells us it's all of ours in chapters and chapters before. But he says it's the law of my mind against the law in my members. He's trying to cast out what is in him because of who he is. But he says what happens is he says I know. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know how God sees me. I know how I'm supposed to react. I know these things. But he said, the war is with the things that I do. And the things that I think. And the things that I feel. One of the, one of the clips that came to mind was that there's, Alistair Begg was preaching in his famous Scottish accent. Um, I think Matt Jester may have posted something with this recently, but he said he said he walked into a church and the guy came out and said, "How do y'all feel today?" He was trying to pump everybody up, and he said, "Honestly, he said I felt bad. He said I had had a bad morning. I kicked the cat on the way out the door. Talks about how bad his morning was, and he finally came. He said he said that's our problem. He said don't tell me how I ask me how I feel. Tell me what I know." And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the war is with what I know against what I feel, with what I know against what I do, with, with what I know. And that's, that's the war. That's the war in us. We know that we are saints. But we're warring against the sinner. 
who we are is warring against with what we were. And he brings more clarity to this. In Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 16, he said, Walk in the Spirit and don't give occasion to the flesh. He uses this same terminology in all of his epistles. He's saying, your flesh is strategizing. It's, it's trying to make an occasion to get you. Walk in the Spirit. Remember who you are. That's what Paul was saying. He said that's where the war is. That was what he had discerned. That was where his discernment was, was that it was a war of who he was and what he did. And again, Paul, he was just honest. He pointed out that he was constantly detained by this war. He said that it brought him captive. It brought him into captivity. The battle was constant. And this is what brings us into verse number 24. Verse number 24 is probably the most well-known verse in chapter 7. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I told Lindsay this week, when I was studying through this, I, I have used this verse incorrectly, even recently. Because the word wretched, while it does bring a connotation of being nasty, aggravated, whatever it may be, the word wretched is specifically talking about that war. That word wretched is the same word that soldiers would use when they came off from a battle. When the soldiers were in a battle and they, the battle would be over and they would come back in, kind of dragging them back in, licking their wounds, that word wretched, it means exhausted or tired from fighting. That's what Paul was saying. He said, this war, it takes me captive. I'm tired of it. Paul was saying, I am so sick of fighting this all the time. He was beaten down. But part of Paul's problem, and he's pointing back to what he's already said in chapter number 7 and in parts of chapter number 6, part of Paul's problem is his eyes were in the wrong place. Place. He knew who he was, but he was trying to overtake sin in the wrong way. And if we remember back towards the beginning of chapter number 7, I may confine it really quickly, but Paul talks about, in verse number 8, chapter 7, verse number 8, he said, But sin taking an occasion by the commandment, Raw in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin is dead. If you remember back, and the only reason I remember this is because it's the last time that I preached, so it's easy for me to remember that. But if you remember back, Paul was saying that there is a, a battle that's going on and that sin was taking up a fortress in the law. Sin was able to war best because of the law. That's where the law was. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 56, Paul said the strength of the sin is the law. What Paul is, is using this chapter to explain to us, number one, 
is that we are not going to get out of this battle with sin until we're dead. That's why Paul was tired. That's why Paul, Paul was just done. He said, I am so sick and tired of this. But Paul knew that it would be a constant battle. It wasn't going to stop anywhere. It was going to continue and continue, and he was exhausted. But part of what Paul's eureka moment was, was understanding why he was so exhausted, why sin was having such a heyday with him. And we can see that from where this word wretched takes us. The word wretched here is only, other, is only found in one other place in the New Testament. And some of you, your minds have probably already gone there. But if you would turn real quickly to Revelation chapter number 3, we can see this word wretched again. Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 20. Jesus is writing, telling John to tell the churches something for him. He says to the church of Laodicea in verse number 20. I think it's verse number 20. I may have written that down wrong. I did. Verse number 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In the previous verse, again, probably one of the more common verses that we know, Paul says in verse 15 and 16, he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I word that thou wert hard or cold. Paul, or Christ talks to them about being lukewarm. But even in that, he said, I know your works. And then he calls them wretched. He calls them exhausted. He said, you don't even know you're exhausted. You are tired and you don't even know it. And you're losing in this battle. You're losing in your works because you're tired and you're blind and you're naked and you don't know it. You're losing in your works. Why was Paul tired? Paul knew he was tired. Why was he tired? Because... He was losing in the battle of his of his works. Paul was trying to explain to them, you are going to battle, period, but there is a reason you can make it worse or you can make it better. And again, I'm not I'm not just pulling this out of anywhere. I hope everybody else is seeing this, because in verse number seven he said. Sin takes occasion by the law. The Laodicean church, their problem was they thought they were spiritual people. If you read anything about the Laodicean church, their problem, their biggest problem was they thought they were spiritual. They thought they were doing good. If you read about the Laodicean church, and I challenge you to do that, just Google the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea were law keepers. They thought they were spiritual because they were law keepers. See, Christ wasn't saying to them, you're on fire for me and you're not on fire for me. You're lukewarm like that. He's saying, no, your works 
you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. If you look at Laodicea, Laodicea is set on a hot spring and they had to bring their water in from somewhere else because that lukewarm water was worthless. Christ was saying to them, your works are worthless because you are losing in that battle. Christ could have said, go read Romans. Paul told you how, he told you about all this. But the Laodiceans, they thought they were spiritual people. They thought they were spiritual. Paul points this out even further. He says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul's point here, he was on the defensive. Paul Paul was looking for deliverance. Paul didn't say, God's going to enable me to deliver myself from this body of death. He saw himself correctly. What Paul is taking this whole chapter, and he's summarizing everything right here, he's taking this whole chapter and explaining to us what happens, how we can make it worse for us. When I was reading, I read a little bit after Charles Spurgeon about these verses of Scripture. He said that the wording that is used here, where he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He said it points us back to the scripture in Matthew 5, where Christ said, Blessed are the poor. He said he points back to them. See, those people knew they were poor. They knew they were having problems. He said, Blessed are the ones who know they've got problems. Paul Paul here in what he's speaking, and this is what Charles Spurgeon said, he said, he said, you could read it as blessed are the wretched. Blessed are the ones who are just tired of fighting because they see themselves as how they are. This wretched, it brought my mind even, and I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but when we were looking through our statement of faith, specifically in terms of our Christian liberty, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about the stronger brethren and the weaker brethren. And in our minds, we think the stronger brethren would have been the ones with more standards and the ones that were more spiritual, and the weaker brethren would have been the one that just can't struggle with stuff all the time. But in context, and I don't know if, I'm, again, I don't know if anybody remembers this or not, but in context, the weaker brethren are the ones that are strained They're weaker because Paul, he goes on to say later on in that chapter, he basically says that their consciences are tired because they're constantly, all the time, beating themselves down about everything. When he's talking about the weaker brethren, they were the ones who said, you can't eat meat and you can't do this and you can't do this. And Paul said, I'm not going to be a stumbling block to my brother. I'm not going to do things that are going to make them trip them up. But he said, if you want to eat meat, eat meat. If you don't, don't. What Paul is pointing out in this chapter is that the law, while it is a good thing, because it brought us to Christ, if we try and bring our sanctification in this, it's going to make us even more tired. That's the point of chapter 7. The point of chapter 7 isn't just Paul wanting to go to heaven and leading us into chapter number 8. And it's not just 
the way that we get from chapter number 6 to chapter number 8. Paul is saying specifically, if you are going to overcome sin at all, you cannot do it through the means from which you could not be saved. He's saying don't expect your sanctification from a different way than you got your salvation. And he points that out in the very next verse. David Guzik, he, he, and I, I think I posted this on Facebook the other day just because I was, and again, sin had overtaken me when I posted that. I was in a bad mood, and I did it out of spite. But David Guzik, he said legalism will produce two things in the child of God. He said it will, number one, so then this when he says legalism, he's saying trying to use the law to get in a better standing with God. Legalism isn't just about salvation. It's getting more acceptance with God, trying to look better before God. That's what legalism is. He said it will produce one of two things in the child of God. Number one, either it will produce denial that you are having a battle with sin, denial of what Paul says here, denial that sin takes you into captivity, and that denial produces a self-righteous Pharisee. Or he said, number two, legalism will to produce despair and giving up. He said, when we try and overcome, he said, the war is there. Don't make any, don't have any doubts about that. The war is going on. The law of your mind, who you are, is warring with against who you were. Your mind is warring against your members. Don't have any doubt about that. But if you are wanting to wear yourself out, then try and fight sin with the law. Because what happens that, and I know my mind went to 750 people who I've seen that play out. Denial that leads to self-righteousness. Denial that I have trouble with sin that leads to self-righteousness. Or despair that leads to giving up. I can't do it, so what's the point? I've seen it, and I'm only 31, and I've seen it. Paul had seen it. Paul understood it. Paul had tried it. But Paul, in the next verse, shows us the ultimate defeat. And actually, let me back up real quick because I don't want to miss this. This clarifies what we learned in Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 7. He said, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Paul knew he wasn't carrying around that old nature. He said, I've got a dead body on me that I'm carrying around. And it won't get off of me. And I hate it. I want rid of it. And the more that he tried to get it off, the more tired he got. Now we can move on to the next point. Verse number 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And notice the grammar. This, he stops. He puts period. That was the answer to the question. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Question mark. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That, that was the answer. The word thanks here that Paul uses, it's a combination of gratefulness and grace. Blew my mind. Paul's saying, I thank God for the grace to get through it. 
The grace came through Jesus Christ. The wretchedness, the tiredness, it led him to thankfulness because he saw the deliverance. There was one deliverer, Jesus Christ. If we're going to win in the battle that we are going to face till we die, it's in one person. It's in Jesus. That's it. The Those people who are tired of fighting all the time, the only relief that they are going to find is the yoke that's easy and the burden that is light. There's rest in him. Paul does the same thing in the summary of chapter 7 that he has done through the whole book of Romans. Look to the gospel. It's there. Everything you need is there. It's still there. It was there when you came to Christ in salvation. Look to the gospel. When sin overtakes you, look to the gospel. When you think that you're starting to do good enough yourself, look to the gospel. When you want to go and grab the law to make yourself think that you're winning, look to the gospel. When you get tired of fighting, look to the gospel. It's the same thing. Paul is saying the same thing. Look to the gospel. He said, thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In summary... And that's what, he, that's what he does here. He just summarizes the whole chapter in a short sentence. He says, So then, after all of that I've said, with the mind I myself serve the law of God. And again, pay attention to the grammar. Who is Paul? Who is Paul serving? Who did Paul see? Who is Paul saying he is? I myself. With the mind, I myself serve the law of God. That's who he was. He served the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's saying, I'm serving both. The difference is. One man's alive and one man's dead. That's why Christ had to die. That's the, the, the scriptures aren't just a lot of stories. They're specific. They're saying things to us for a reason. It's not just authors through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit running their mouth because they were inspired to do so. They're being specific in what they're saying. Paul understood. He said, I serve God. My flesh serves sin. That's, that's just how it is. Until he dies, his flesh was going to serve sin. But the law of his mind was responsible. Who he was was responsible to take captive what he wanted to do. Who he was was responsible to take captive how he felt that day. It's a war. It's tiring. We mess up. But at the end of the day, I serve God and the dead man that I drag along with me serves my flesh. 
That's it. That's chapter 7. Sinner and a saint. Simultaneously. Same time. Victory in our lives is only going to be found by the means of grace that God, that Paul thanked God for here in verse number 25. It's only coming by that grace. Any victory in our life comes from God. And what did we read this morning? It's by grace. So no man can boast. Sanctification in my life, it ain't me. I didn't do any of it. Any good change in me, I didn't do it. And I can't take the glory for it. Because it wasn't me. It was all him. That's why he thanked God for it. He didn't say, I thank myself because I finally got a hold of something. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Deliverance has been won. And one day, we will see what God sees. We will see the evidence of the deliverance that God has completed. We will see personally. Our eyes will behold. We will see him and we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. When we see him as he is, we'll see ourselves as we are. That's what got Paul through day to day. And that's why Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I, God has me die tomorrow, it means I don't have to deal with the wretched man anymore. I don't have to be tired about this anymore. I can see God like he sees me. I can be rid of sin. I can be rid of the flesh. I can be rid of it all. There was a man, he made a statement. He said, and this is this is in closing. He said, Ah, for a new man to arise in me, that the man I am may cease to be. And that's what will happen. One day, we sung it this morning, if I'm not mistaken. No, never mind. Different song. I think it may be, may, may, it may be sweet hour prayer. Drop everything and rise to meet the saviors. Yeah, I think, yeah. Anyway, I don't remember exactly, but that's what's going to happen. The new man that is in us now, that we're walking in new life, he's going to rise. And we're going to cease being who we were completely. We're not who we are. Or we're not who we were. We are who we are. <laughs> we're not who we were. One day, we're going to cease being who we were. We're going to get there. It's all because Christ has been victorious. None of us, all of him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another chance to be in your house this evening. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that your word is specific.